Welcome to Creepy Cases and Spooky Spaces. I'm your host, Cassiopeia. You can find new episodes every Friday available on your favorite podcast platform. Be sure to subscribe through Anchor or sign up on the Patreon page, both links are in the bio, for access to bonus episodes, early episode plays, and more. You can follow me on Instagram and Facebook at creepycases.spookyspaces for all news and updates. Due to the graphic nature of some of the cases and spaces featured on this show, listener discretion is advised. It was a dark and stormy night. The night before her podcast was supposed to air, and she had just sat down to start recording. Actually, this is a true story. It's actually storming outside right now, but I kind of love this weather because um, it's just, I don't know, it's just always been very comforting, but also it just kind of gives a little bit of a creepy feel to the world, Um, even though I really want to go outside and play in the rain. Um, But I am bringing another episode of Creepy Cases and Spooky Spaces with Cassiopeia to you. Um, Don't forget to sign up through the Anchor website to subscribe, or you can also sign up for the Patreon page. Um, Both links are in the bio, so check those out. There's a little bit of thank you swag for any um, anyone who does sign up for either of those. And don't forget to head over to pizzaandpigtails.com. Click on the store to go to the Wick and Fay candle shop and check out the creepy cases and spooky spaces candles. Let's get started on this week's episode. Hollywood. Not just a tourist destination, but to a large community, a lifelong dream. And I mean, can you blame them? It's always held such an attractive draw. The fame, the glitz, the glamour. So many love you when you're a part of Hollywood. But living a life in Hollywood wasn't always lavish parties, sunshine and rainbows and sure that plays a big part for you know those who play the game of politics but there was a much and still is darker side to life under the lights now besides the constant discrimination racist tones eating disorders abuse and cover-ups there were also mysterious deaths and murders. Today I'll be telling you about just a couple of those creepy cases. Carl Dean Switzer, an American singer, child star, dog breeder, and hunting guide. 
You know him best as Alf Alpha, the freckle-faced boy with a cowlick and a warbling voice from our gang. He was born August 7, 1927, in Paris, Illinois, the youngest of four children, the oldest brother passing away in 1922. Now, Carl and his brother Harold became pretty well-known in their hometown for their musical talent, um, as they could both sing and play multiple instruments, which, honestly, that is a lifelong goal of mine to learn multiple musical instruments. Now, in 1934, the family took a trip out to California to visit their grandparents. And it was during this visit that his mother actually took Harold and Carl to visit the Hal Roach Studios, the television and film production company that launched the careers of comedy legends such as Laurel and Hardy. And we actually heard about them, or uh, well, Hal Roach, uh, a little bit in the mysterious death of Thelma Todd episode uh, just a few weeks ago. So take a listen to that one if you haven't. Now, the two boys actually made their way into the cafeteria and began to perform. Now, Hal Roach, uh, who was just so happened to be in the cafe at the time, signed both of the boys and even worked them into the next short that was currently being made. Now, our gang, a groundbreaking series in that it featured white and black children interacting equally in a time when it wasn't really considered acceptable, for lack of a better term. And it was actually later turned into a TV series called The Little Rascals. Now, even though Switzer was basically became the star of this show, he never really received any royalties from it. He played the fan favorite character from 1935 to 1940, when he eventually outgrew the role. And he went on to act in film and TV, mostly in supporting roles. Now in 1954, Carl married Deantha Collingwood. But in 1956, with their money running low and a child on the way, her parents offered them a farm in Kansas. However, Carl was drawn to the acting life and definitely not into the farm life, even though he was basically from a farm town. But he actually left Deantha and their son Justin in 1957 and went back to life in California. Now, not really being able to escape the typecasting of Alfalfa, he found that his career began to fizzle out. And to pull in some income, he actually started working as a bartender and he did some dog breeding and training and he became a hunting guy, like out hunt. He would take um, actually a lot of celebrities out bear hunting. And some of his clients were Roy Rogers, 
uh, Dale Evans, Jimmy Stewart, and Henry Fonda. So these were actually pretty big names at the time. Now in 1959, he took on training a dog for Moses Samuel, nicknamed Bud Stilts. But while he had the dog in his possession, it ran off and disappeared. Stilts demanded that Switzer either find and return the dog or pay him the value of the animal. At this time, he was in the midst of financial troubles, so he didn't really have the funds to pay for the dog. So he took to searching and also put out ads in the paper and even offered a reward for the return of the animal. Now, soon after, the dog was returned to the bar where Switzer was working at the time. He awarded the man with $35 and $15 in free drinks. But losing $50 at this time really took a toll on him. And he spoke to his friend, Jack Piott, who was actually a unit still photographer. And they decided that Stilts should have to pay the fee. After all, it was his dog. Now, after maybe a little too much liquid courage, the two went to Stilts' home where he lived with his wife, Rita Corrigan, and his three stepchildren. Now, Spitzer and Piot demanded they open the door or they would kick it down. They went in and demanded the money, and that's when things turned physical. According to Stiltz's testimony, he was hit over the head with a glass clock by Switzer. And he claims that after this happened, he went to his room, grabbed his 38 caliber, and came back, which Switzer then wrestled him for the gun. The gun discharged accidentally and shot up into the ceiling and almost hit his stepson, Tom Gorgon, who was just 14 at the time. Now, once again, according to Stilts, Switzer then pulled a hunting knife while yelling, I'm going to kill you, and threw the knife across the room at Stilts. Stilts fired the gun, hitting Switzer in the groin damaging an artery which caused massive internal bleeding and Switzer died on the way to the hospital. Now Tommy was actually supposed to testify at the coroner's inquest yet he was never called and Stilts testified in his place claiming self-defense. Now, he claimed self-defense, and a jury, looking at his side of things, basically granted it, and he got away. Now, in 2001, Tom Corrigan actually came forward with what really happened that night. It was more like a murder 
he told reporters. He said that he heard a knock on the door and Switzer said, Western Union for Bud Stilts. His mother, Rita, opened the door to find a drunk Switzer demanding payment for the debt from the dog training incident. Switzer entered the house first, followed by Piat. Switzer threatened to beat Stilts up, which, of course, not always the greatest way to start a conversation. Um, but this was when the gun was drawn. So he, there wasn't a physical altercation before Stilts went to get the gun. He drew the gun when, when Switzer threatened to beat him up. Tom said that Switzer grabbed the gun and he and Stilts wrestled for control. And this was when Piat struck Stilts over the head with the clock. And the gun went off, firing into the ceiling. And Tommy was hit in the leg, but it was actually by a fragment of the ceiling, like a piece of the plaster or whatever the ceiling was made of. And this actually caused Switzer to stop. And he said, we shot Tommy, enough of this. And Carl and Jack actually began to leave the house. But just as he stepped outside, another shot was fired. And Tommy said that he didn't see the shot fired, but he actually saw Carl with a shocked look on his face sliding down the wall. He saw a small closed pin knife that looked to have fallen out of his pocket, which was, I believe, the knife that he tried to claim was thrown at him. Stilts tried to claim was thrown at him, yet this got, that yet it was found underneath Switzer's body. He then saw his stepfather shove Piot against the kitchen counter and threaten to kill him as well. Piot begged for his life as emergency sirens began, and this is possibly what saved his life. Corrigan said his stepfather lied in his account of what happened, and he also said that he didn't have to kill him. He, he was on his way out. He could have just let him leave. Now, Carl Switzer died the same day as Cecil B. DeMille, so his death only received a small notice, but it was definitely overshadowed by DeMille's. And I actually didn't know that Carl Switzer um, was shot and killed. Like, it was something that was brought up to me recently, and... Um, someone who suggested it and said they thought it would be a good story for the podcast and i agree i think it's a very interesting story um but tell me what you think about the circumstances um also in this day and age do you think that the murderer would have gotten away as easy as he did or do you think that it would have been um more of a sentence.
our creepy case will return after a few words from our sponsors. Shh! Do you smell that? The fairies must be whipping up something amazing over at the Wiccan Fae Candle Nook. The custom layered candles are a must for all candle lovers. With your choice of three scents, you can create your very own garden soiree or Sunday yummy Sunday. With names like Bitch Slap Blue, Chill the Fuck Out, and even the new Creepy Cases and Spooky Spaces scent line, you are bound to find something for everyone. So right now, when you mention the code Creepy Spooky, you'll get 10% off your first order. So head on over to pizzaandpigtails.com and click the shop link up in the left hand corner and get your very own Wiccan Fay candles today. Our second story doesn't have quite the happy-go-lucky beginning as our first story did. Millicent Lillian Entwistle, known as Peg, was born in Port Talbot, Glamorgan, Wales. Her father was an actor, and it's said that her parents split when she was just two years old but some mistakenly say that her mother died, and Peg may have actually thought this herself. In 1912, her father and her immigrated to New York, where he became a theater stage manager and remarried. And Peg actually had a great relationship with her stepmother, Loretta. Now, growing up in the world of theater, young Peg was inspired to begin acting herself. She played Peter Pan at age 12 in a school production. She used to mimic famous actors in the mirror. She would read about them in the magazines and went to plays. And after seeing Peg of My Heart, she renamed herself Peg. Sadly, Loretta died in 1921 of meningitis and Robert in 1922 after a hit-and-run accident. The 14-year-old Peg and her little brothers were sent to live with their aunt and uncle, but they actually really enjoyed spending time with their aunt and uncle, so this while it happened under tragic circumstances, it wasn't necessarily a bad thing. Now, Charles Entwistle was also active in show business, and when they moved to Hollywood, Peg actually decided to go back to New York. She longed for the prestigious stages of Broadway. She ended up training at an acting school and joined a theater group in Boston. And at the age of 17, she was recruited by the New York Theater Guild, and her career took off. Now, in 1927, she married her fellow actor, Robert Lee Keith, but the marriage didn't last long at all. 
It ended only two years later on the ground of cruelty and deception. You see, Robert had been married before, but he kept both of his previous marriages and his six-year-old son a secret from Peg. And he was unfaithful to her, and he actually took to beating her and was a, a pretty raging alcoholic. And he apparently made her give up her career since during the entire time that they were married, she didn't take on any new roles. Now, it was only two short years later when Peg and Robert divorced, leaving her reputation in Broadway circles tarnished. Emotionally damaged and struggling financially, Peg tried to resurrect her acting career, but she didn't get the reception she had hoped for, and things were only worse when the Great Depression hit. Now I will say, as somebody who put her dreams on hold for a man, don't do it ladies. <laughs> I know that a lot of people think that when you settle down you're supposed to give up certain things that you love. Um, you're not and the right person won't make you. Uh, so just a little bit of <laughs> uh, advice there from someone who's lived through it. Now, by 1931, plays had a hard time to stay in production, and so it was actually difficult to find roles because they were few and far between. Now, Peg did make her way out to Los Angeles in hopes to pursue a career on the silver screen. But in the 1930s, talkies had basically taken over Hollywood, and silent films were getting fewer and fewer. And basically, everything featured talking and singing, which to me is amazing because musicals are one of my favorite genres, uh, probably second to horror. Now, many out-of-work Broadway stars rushed to Hollywood to use their experience to land roles and further their careers. Now, Peg was lucky enough to sign a contract with RKO Pictures, and she was cast in a film based on a novel with the same title, titled 13 Women. However, um... Even though it was kind of groundbreaking, as this film was actually one of the first of its kind, it was a psychological thriller with a female ensemble, and it actually had an influence on, on slasher films. Now, the feedback for the film was less than desirable, with a lot of the backlash directed at Peg's storyline, and it included a lot of taboo and... Um, quote-unquote, unacceptable things for the time. Her screen time started out as 16 minutes and was cut down to a mere four. Now, after this, RKO didn't renew her contract. And I honestly think this isn't, like, her fault because, I mean, it's not like she wrote the film or 
um, came up with the storylines. She just acted her part. And that's also something that kind of goes to show how it, um, unfair it is um, a little bit as an actor because you're, you kind of you're the face of the story being told and sometimes um I guess not so much anymore now that we have a little bit more access to resources um of who does what but um back in you know the silver and golden age of Hollywood that wasn't the case so you kind of got the backlash from what was being written or directed or produced and So, Peg's contract not being renewed actually sent her into a bout of depression, and it actually caused her to give up on her dreams. Now, on September 16th, 1932, Peg told her uncle that she was going to meet up with some friends, and off into the night she went. She made her way up the Hollywood Hills, up to the 50 feet letters of the Hollywood sign. She left her belongings at the bottom of the H, climbed the workman's ladder to the top of that same letter and leapt to her death. It was just two days later when a woman who was hiking discovered a woman's shoe, jacket, and purse. And upon investigating the area a little bit, she saw a woman's body in the ravine below. And she called police and turned the belongings over. There was a suicide note in the purse which read, I am afraid. I am a coward. I am sorry for everything. If I had done this a long time ago, it would have saved me a lot of pain. P.E. Now, Peg's uncle was the one to identify her body after reading about the Jane Doe in the newspaper. He told police that she was actually always fascinated by the Hollywood sign. And her death made headlines. She was nicknamed the Hollywood Sign Girl a failed actress who threw herself from the H in despair. Now, during the autopsy, it was determined that she actually, she didn't die from the fall, nor instantly. She was injured, but was actually alive for quite a while before succumbing to her injuries. Now, Peg Entwistle was only 24 years old. She was cremated, and her remains were returned to Ohio where she was buried next to her father. Now, according to many witnesses, Peg hasn't moved on and still haunts the spot where she died. In the 1940s, there was maintenance done on the Hollywood sign. As most know, it actually used to read Hollywood Land, and in the 1940s, they removed the land part. And apparently, around this time, the H fell over, and people say that they think it was the work of Peg's spirit, which that is a mighty spirit if she could knock that whole sign down. Megan Santos recalls jogging along Griffith Park Trail 
when a quote-unquote weird feeling struck her. She shivered before noticing this woman with, with um, blonde hair and she seemed to be like walking on air. In 1990, a couple walking along the same trail saw a quote-unquote disoriented blonde woman in 1930s clothing vanish before their eyes. Another couple walking their dog along the Beechwood Lawson Trail near the Hollywood sign responded that their dog began crying and hiding behind them. And a young woman in out-of-date clothing then materialized on the path looking lost before she faded into the air. Many park rangers report seeing Peg John Arbogast says that he has seen her several times, and mostly on late, foggy nights. Along with her comes the strong scent of gardenias, her favorite scent and her favorite flower. Now, Devin Morgan also claimed to smell gardenias after noticing a woman who had a very etheric quality. She wasn't walking or floating but it was almost as if she was gliding along the path and she didn't look like a ghost but there was definitely something very strange about about her and she was just very soft looking now the day after she died the family received a letter offering peg a part about a woman who committed suicide, which I think is actually creepy um, because obviously they didn't know about her death when they sent the letter. And her uncle was actually quite upset with the studio because he kind of wondered why they would send the offer in a letter instead of just calling her. Now, while it's definitely a sad ending, Peg influenced quite a few songs, TV shows, and even movies. So, I mean, technically, she got the fame that she always dreamed of, but it cost her her life. So, tell me your thoughts. And um, when I first started reading about Peg and Twistle, I actually didn't know that there had been sightings, like ghost sightings of her um, at the Hollywood sign. And I found that out actually late last night when I had finished my research. And I wanted to add it in there because I, well, obvious reasons. Um, <laughs> and I just, I thought it was actually something, I mean, I hate to use the word neat, um, but I think it's actually kind of neat that she's still around. But um, tell me your thoughts. Um, I guess there's not really much to go on here because it's a pretty cut and dry story and case. Um, but I mean, 
we could also open a discussion that doesn't even have to be um, just about the um, unfairness that used to happen in Hollywood. And I know it still happens to this day. There's definitely some big major issues in Hollywood. Um, and I do think that it should be quote unquote fixed for lack of a better term. However, um, I just think that there's still a lot of inequality towards women, towards minorities. Um, there's a lot of stuff that is still, that people are still getting away with. Um, so tell me your thoughts on that. We can also open the discussion um, to, we can also open the discussion to suicide. I personally don't feel that suicide is ever the answer. And please, if you are ever feeling like that is your only way out, please reach out to somebody. And I mean anybody. You can actually even reach out to me if um, you don't feel you have anybody you can talk to about it. Um, I'm a very good listener. Uh, and I don't judge, so you always have an open ear that will listen without judgments, without reservations. Um, so yeah, and as always, until next crime. Creepy Cases and Spooky Spaces is a Pizza and Pigtails production. Writing, recording, and editing done by yours truly, along with Pizza and Pigtails Productions. You can find new episodes every Friday with bonus episodes coming out every other Tuesday. Follow along on Facebook and Instagram at creepycases.spookyspaces for all future news and updates. Don't forget to subscribe to Patreon or Anchor for access to bonus episodes, early access to episodes, and much more. And if you have a creepy case or a spooky space that you would like featured on the podcast, shoot me an email at creepycases.spookyspaces at gmail.com. <laughs>